Welcome to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. IFA Talk is for professional investors only. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in for this edition of IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast where we talk to people who matter about things that matter in the world of financial services. My name is Sue Whitbread and I'm editor here at IFA Magazine. And joining me on the podcast today is my co-host, our junior editor, Rebecca Tomes. Today's economic and market conditions are amongst the most challenging that I can ever remember. Uh, And that's why I'm pleased to introduce our podcast guest today, who is Abri Pretorius. Abri is Portfolio Manager of 91's Global Quality Equity Income Fund. And we're going to focus our attention on that word quality in today's conversation as Bex and I will chat with Abri about the concept of quality investing and why it's so relevant today. Abri, thanks so much for joining us on the pod. It's a pleasure to welcome you. Hi, Sue. Hello, Rebecca. Um, Look forward to our discussion. Do you think you could start by defining quality investing for us? Because I think it's fair to say that people have different understandings of what quality investing actually is. Yes, that's certainly true. I found it quite interesting that in the financial services industry, um, we work in a a, a world that's um, dominated by numbers, Mm -hmm. where most things can actually be accurately quantified. But yet, we had a very wide spectrum of interpretations of pretty basic concepts like Mm -hmm. value, growth, and and even quality. Um, So the term quality has certainly gained in popularity um, since 2007, when we actually launched our, our global portfolios. But fundamentally, it is, however, nothing new. I mean, it's a concept that can actually almost be traced back um, to Benjamin Graham back in the 1930s. And now, while Benjamin Graham and Warren Buffett might be famous as, as your classic value investors um, to most, I find it actually quite interesting that only two of their factors, which is a PE and a price to book, actually refer to value. But five were quality in the form of the size of the company, the balance sheet strength, the earnings durability, the dividend persistence, and then ultimately your, your earnings per share growth. Now, since there, uh, the, that time in the 30s and then obviously most of Warren Buffett's career, um, things has changed a little bit. Uh, financial disclosure has certainly improved. I mean, companies today provide full accounts on a quarterly basis. And so your, your classic value factors moved from your PE and price to book now to more your cash flow orientated metrics, such as free cash flow and free cash flow yield. And in our experience, that's really reflected in our 15 year track record, that's also supported by academic papers, is that companies that can consistently compound both their dividends and earnings with below average level of risk tend to have competitive advantages that are primarily sourced from intangible assets. So think here of very strong brands or patents and not your classic building or a truck. And so we tend to favor these companies that's got very strong innovation-driven business models as they tend to provide us with at least three key benefits. I mean, the first one is typically, I mean, they're very hard to replicate. And so it's far harder to replicate a patent that's got regulatory um, um, compliance barriers against it than to replicate a building. 
And so these companies tend to dominate for far longer than what the market appreciates. Secondly, they don't have a um, high degree of economic sensitivity because they typically sell um, everyday items or have subscription type of revenue and therefore they give you very long runways for growth. And then finally, um, they tend to generate significant amount of excess cash. I mean, they don't have a mine to, 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 to maintain. Um, they've got a brand which has got very different, different capital requirements. And so they give you and distribute a growing um, form of a dividend or income stream that's certainly very valuable in markets like we're in today that's got very high uncertainty as it relates to growth. Yeah, you mentioned the word uncertainty there, uh, Bree, that's for sure. I mean, some are suggesting now that UK inflation could hit 18% by January, goodness me. Uh, and also we've got investors facing rising rates, we've got economic uncertainty, as you said. And so many advisors and investors are going to be on the lookout, aren't they, for a steadier investment journey. So I wonder then, in your view and in that environment, why does quality investing as you've just defined it, makes sense? Well, during periods of, of inflation, um, the obvious answer is to, to probably purchase just an asset with, with pricing power. Now, naturally, during the initial phases of inflation, it leads most investors to, to purchase asset-rich or capital-intensive industries. I think you're of an energy or a commodity company, yeah. as they tend to have the best pricing power, right? Just due yeah. to the products sure. that they sell. Now, what is often underestimated is that while the revenue and profit increase handsomely, they need to reinvest the profit into higher capital expenditure that will ultimately adjust with inflation, leading to pretty disappointing free cash flow performance. Now, ultimately, pricing power is seen in the form of cash flow and free cash flow growth that's ahead of inflation because it's cash flow that's a key value driver to share prices, not revenue and profit. And so earlier in this year, we actually published a note that we, where we looked at two identical companies. I mean, the one, um, so two identical companies, both of them had the same pricing power, the same margins. The only difference was the one was a capital intensive business that's been driven by um, high capital expenditure and the other one was more a branded company mm -hmm. and we actually looked in our example we, we looked at we thought it was a crazy number at the time we looked at a 15 percent inflation rate for a long period of time yeah. now what was interesting what was interesting uh, about that analysis is that both even though both these two companies delivered the same revenue and earnings growth the, the capital light company or the branded business delivered double the free cash flow um, over the 15-year period as compared to the capital intensive business. Um, and what's more interesting is that the branded company actually increased in valuation with a higher return on capital, while the, 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 the capital intensive business continued to decline um, in terms of the multiple. And so they almost had a classic definition of a value trap. And so companies, as we define it as quality, um, is a very good place to be during periods of inflation and higher interest rates and slower growth because they can actually deliver that real free cash flow growth and they can do that with a relatively narrow funnel of uncertainty. 
during mm. a time when most other assets actually struggle. I think the most investors have not lived during a period, uh, myself included. I mean, it was, it, it, was a, it was a pretty interesting exercise to go through and to actually do the numbers and see what it will look like um, if we experience a period like the 1970s. Um, I mean, Warren Buffett, I think it was in the 1980s or something, he wrote an investment letter where he actually said, well, capital intensive businesses are average in, 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 in normal times and worse in during inflationary times. And, and that almost got me thinking, and that's why we, we went to actually do the numbers to do the math behind it. So moving on a bit then, you run 91's Global Quality Equity Income Fund, which clearly gives you a pretty wide global opportunity set. Are there any particular investment themes or regions that you think might offer a lot of opportunity going forward? Yeah, that's, that's right. I mean, we, we do have a global mandate. Um, and so that's a very wide opportunity set, I think. But what's pretty important, therefore, for us, um, we also have a truly global team that's based in three continents. Um, and we're connected with one investment philosophy. I mean, we live within our regions. Um, and so we don't go to the same dinner parties. And that really brings a very rich debate to our investment discussion. I mean, the output mm -hmm. of this diverse team can certainly be seen in our portfolios that we run that I think is very different to most other global equity income managers you'll find in the UK. Now, in our universe, we don't really favor any particular region or sector. I mean, we, we're really an attribute-based, bottom-up process that's focused on finding the leading businesses in the world with very strong growth outputs um, at a reasonable valuation. And so if you look at our history since 2007, uh, we used to own around 55% of the portfolio in consumer staples during the 2011-12 period compared to only about 20% today. Um, yet the fundamentals of the portfolio in terms of the return on capital, the growth, the balance sheet characteristics remained relatively consistent over time. Now, if we actually maintained our exposure to consumer staples, we probably would have had a portfolio with got slower growth, more debt, and certainly a higher valuation. And so it's very important to focus on the outputs and the certain attributes from our bottom-up process. Now, if we think about the, the, the portfolio today, we see significant opportunity in companies that can either embrace technology um, to disrupt their own industries. And so think here of a company like Nike, think of a Siemens Healthineers, or businesses that have the technology for others to adopt. Now, think here of a broad reach, for example, that's actually using the data complements of their proxy business that's certainly dominating the market to help wealth managers digitize their businesses and bring that in the 21st century. You are listening to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified as soon as a new episode becomes available and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at IFA Magazine. One sector in particular, I, I thought it might be useful to get your views on. I noticed that G GQEI has a high rating in the IT sector. And with that sector, well, experiencing a significant uh, derating, should we call it, year to date. I wonder where you see opportunities there in particular. 
Yes, I mean, so the global quality equity income strategy um, certainly have a high weighting in technology. Um, it's about over a third of the portfolio um, today. And it's certainly a sector we found very interesting, as I just mentioned in the, um, to the previous question. But I think it's important to note that it's a very broad range of companies within that's got a definition of technology. I mean, our exposure to technology is very different to the high flyers that really drove the market during the last couple of years. I mean, we're focusing on companies that can actually deliver today, not those that's going to sell you some sort of dream. And so despite technology being the largest position or sector within our portfolio, the tech sector um, and the tech sector actually being the worst performing sector this year, it is actually one of our largest contributors to our outperformance this year, which is an interesting takeaway. That is interesting. And, and <laughs> that just shows how we own very different type of companies. Um, I think during the last couple of years, we certainly lived in a world of abundance um, and where capital was really freely available. And so the market increasingly rewarded your classic speculative business models that were attempting to disrupt the market. Like companies, I mean, we think here of companies like a Carvana or a DraftKings, a Zoom, Deliveroo. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, Netflix is probably your classic example of one where the business model was not sustainable, but they actually succeeded um, in disrupting their market. Now, this behavior certainly peaked around the mid 2001, and we have since seen the valuations of these businesses collapse um, as growth uncertainty came in and investors were certainly less tolerant to support the valuations with, for a business that gave, that, that's promising you a return 10 to, to 20 years out. Now we focus on the companies that's got certainly innovation driven models, but also have the ability to disrupt the market, but we want their business models to really be strong enough to invest with their own internally generated cash flows. And so it's during periods like now where funding for certain companies actually dry up, where our companies just become stronger because they can actually continue to fund their business and grow during during tightening financial conditions. Interesting. You mentioned at the start about financial services being very much about uh, numbers and it's also very much about definitions and jargon too, isn't it? So what constitutes IT and what constitu constitutes tech can vary tremendously. So there are some great examples there. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, we, I think that the, the classification according to gigs is certainly not something that we hold ourselves to. I mean, mm -hmm. we can almost take it even further. Um, if you think about how we define a quality business, typically capital light companies that can compound. Now, Kone is an elevator and escalator company that's classified by gigs and, and, and the agencies as a heavy industrial. Now, the capital intensity of that business is very low because they actually make their money um, out of the servicing of the elevators and the escalators. Mm -hmm. And so therefore it's almost coming back to, we an attribute-based approach where we will go and invest anywhere in the market where we can find the, the business models and financial models that's actually gonna deliver the outcomes. And so when you think about how we, we wanna invest is we wanna find the best combination of, uh, 
high quality company that can consistently compound at attractive yields. And so we don't want to be steered too much into the yield spectrum because then you're just going to buy cheap assets that's got low quality and high risk. But you also don't want to go and invest in too much growth because then you might overpay for it um, and you get a big risk profile when things change. And so we try to provide the best balance of the three. So before we wrap up then, I wonder if you could look ahead and tell us what you think is going to really drive market returns as we start to close out the year and obviously against the seemingly gloomy backdrop for UK investors. Do you think it will continue to be central bank policy or will underlying company earnings start to drive returns? It'd be great to hear your thoughts and where you see the most opportunities. Yeah, Rebecca, this, that's, a, that's a very good question. Um, <laughs> well, central bank policy have certainly been the main driver of equity returns for the majority of this year. Um, as the market was really wrong-footed and had to adjust to the rapid change in, in interest rate expectations as we have to, to fight um, the, the, the high inflation. And so higher discount rates means lower prices. I mean, all else equal. And so it's no surprise that the valuation um, of global equity markets are down about 25% this year. And so focus now has started to shift basically since almost the middle of, of the summer um, to, to the growth expectation as we started to see um, really that higher rates and inflation is starting to, to very clearly negatively impact the demand and therefore the growth environment. And so the question is now becoming um, is the market really correctly pricing the growth outlook um, and how big a slowdown are we likely to see? I mean, the Fed's mandate is definitely not growth, it's inflation. And so how much pain do they need to inflict um, in order to get inflation um, under control? And so we think there's therefore a very strong argument to be made, to be made um, that now is a pretty sensible time to invest in, in quality companies with durable earning streams um, that are not really impacted by the economic cycle due to their strong structural growth and that it can offer you a decent dividend to complement your total return, mm -hmm. especially if they're supported by near net cash balance sheets. Mm -hmm. Now, this is particularly important now given that almost all equities derated this year and we can find these type of companies now at a discount to the valuation of the general market. Now, it's not often that, that, that the market is placing these type of businesses on a discount. And so when they do, um, they tend to be taken out from time to time um, because the economics of the business didn't really change. And so we've experienced this here. Um, one of our companies, for example, get taken out and receive a 40% premium to what they were trading at in the market, as just as a reflection of some of the value that's being offered in the market today. And so we fully invested. Um, we're pretty optimistic about um, the prospects of, of our companies, um, as now is probably not a bad time to, to, to think about businesses that's got more durable, sustainable growth rates um, out there. Well, it's very refreshing to hear such a positive a position statement there. I thank you very much for that. And I wonder now if you're going to be so positive when I ask you our final question, which we ask all our podcast guests. 
which was if you had the power to change just one thing in the world of financial services, what would that be? So you definitely left the most difficult question for, oh, <laughs> for last. You. Yeah, um, we got it. We got a challenge. Uh, yeah. So I mean, we we, we do focus um, a lot on change as investors because we probably want to invest in companies that's persistent. And so we think about a lot that what can change. And we also invest a lot in technology companies, as we discussed, that's clearly enabling a lot of change that's happening in all the industries. And so for me, I would almost rather want to advocate for something to stay the same um, in, in the industry and in the financial industry. And, and that's the importance of people yeah. um, that can really apply their minds and think within this industry. Um, and this is, I'm stretching this all the way from active management as it relates to our fiduciary duty um, in proxy voting, in capital allocation to ensure businesses can, in a sustainable manner, manage their businesses for all stakeholders, but also for risk management that's becoming more and more an autopilot um, and wealth management that's playing a very important role to help savers plan for retirement. I mean, the, 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 the rapid rise of passive and machine to technology across the industry with the aim to aggregate, automate, and ultimately save cost is, is becoming um, a, a concern for me. I think it is surprisingly difficult in the U to, to find hard facts and accurate data and estimates on this. But from, from what I could find is it looks like about 40% of equities are already driven by passive management or machine. I mean, eight out of the largest 10 equity funds in the industry is passive. Now, you would think this is probably a good outcome for me as an active manager as I'm competing against the machine and something that's an autopilot. But it is worrying in terms of how that is going to influence the sustainability, as I said, um, and ultimately for probably more on a wealth management side, um, a lot of the decision-making is being pushed out to the end line driven to, to, to drive the to drive to save costs, scale and automate. And I think ultimately we, we need good financial advice and people that can think to make sound decisions in order to maximize the outcome for the average investor. Mm, oh gosh, I totally agree with you. And I, I, I love that answer because it is all about people at the end of the day and we often lose sight of that very fact. And so, the fact that you're bringing it right back into the agenda, I, I think is so appropriate. Yeah, so, it's important to, for us to let the main thing just be the main thing, right? Correct, <laughs> absolutely the case, it really is. So it's, as well as that, it's been really interesting today to get your perspective on things. Uh, so thank you for coming on the pod. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed it and I hope, I hope you have too. IFA Talk is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Whatever appropriate, independent research, and whatever necessary, legal advice, should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. And value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested.